We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 270 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and today I've got Levon, better known as Barcelev. Levon, we do have some potential bad vibes coming up around the second half of the show, but I'm excited for this one because we get to compliment Lino Messi, talk about some international competitions that don't really affect Barcelona, but I think that Copa America affects Barcelona quite, quite, quite a bit. And then we're going to do England, Italy, and then at the end we've got a little bit of Ilash Moriba and Alejandro Balbe, which, if you know why I'm bringing up those two names, not really the best news in the world, but we start with, I think, the best news of any Kool-Aid summer, right? As impassioned as it was, we're sorry for Emerson, we're sorry for former Barcelona player Neymar, but Argentina has won the Copa America, and you said it was your favorite competition, the one that you look forward to more than a Euro, and I think it's the result that everybody wanted. Yeah, and it's uh, like, the fun thing about it is, I, in particular, am not really a fan of football players. There are football players that I, I, I like, but even the ones that I really like, for example, I love Dembélé as a player, and he looks like a nice guy to me. I could care less if he does well for France or not. I only care when he plays for Barcelona. And it's the same for uh, Iniesta, who is, in my eyes, the greatest midfielder of all time, and he's just a don. I could care less what Iniesta wins or loses with Spain. I just care when he plays for Barcelona. I could care less now that he plays in um, Japan. Yeah. Fidel. For Vincent um, Kobe, yeah. Uh, thank you. I don't really care. Um, I hope his life is okay, but I only care when he plays for Barcelona. But with Messi, there's just so much heartbreak of of him getting so close and all the idiots in the world who try to disparage him because he does not win it with uh, with Argentina. That is just very nice to see him win for Argentina. And I was really rooting for him. Yeah, you could tell that the teammates were, that so many fans around the world, even opposition was happy for him to finally get over that because you could tell that he's done everything he could for club football. And I know it's hard to understand Barcelona in this context, but if Messi doesn't ever win that other Champions League, if he doesn't ever even win that other La Liga trophy, he's done so much winning at Barcelona already. That's more trophies than anyone could possibly imagine for a club career. 
So everything that was missing was all of that. And then you take the weight of Diego Maradona passing in the last year. Again, you take the lofty comparisons, not only to Maradona, but Pele, to, to Socrates, to all of the great Brazilian and Argentine and South American players that changed football the way it is. And we're talking about England, Italy, and what that match kind of means in the, the historic sense of, of football. But while England and Italy take credit and feel like they're the ones who created the game and took it to, to different places, the, the game of football, once it got to South America, they did something to it that turned it into, as the very cliche term goes, they turned it into a religion. And so that is why Messi is considered this, they always say, the Dios 10, that he is this deity, is this thing that, that rose above because it means so much to so many people. And I, I do want to kind of take the, the step back from that in, in that for Messi, being a captain, he's a captain of Barcelona Shore, and for us as being Kool-Aid, we watched the heartbreak of all those championship nights, Champions League nights rather, we watched all those just near misses for uh, for Barcelona lately, and then for Argentina, whether it was 2015-2016 Copa Finals, whether it was a 2014 World Cup Final, there's all these moments when Messi was just this is close, and of course, as we defend him to our dying breath, there's all those detractors, but... Messi, the captain, finally got over it. And I, the last thing before I, you take over again, Levon, is that this is only Brazil's second loss ever at the Maracanã after the 1950 World Cup final against Uruguay. Brazil had never lost the Copa at home since the start of the tournament in 2016. So I know that, you know, obviously England's pundits were talking about England at Wembley, and Wembley is this sacred place, but it's not. The Maracanã is. And so for Argentina to beat Brazil at the Maracanã in that fashion, one nothing, the way they did... I know that you think the match was ugly, and it was ugly. It was not a pretty match, but it was. I, I still felt it was befitting of a final. There still felt like there was a glory and a reverence to that match that was befitting of a final. Yes, uh, that, that, that's true. However, it is kind of painful to see how, how much South American football has declined in the last, say, 15, let's say 15 years. Um, I was having this discussion earlier uh, on, on Twitter as well. But to go from, uh, let's see, 1958, Brazil, 1962, Brazil, mm -hmm. then England, then 1970, Brazil, um, Germany, 1978, Argentina, 82, Germany, 86, Argentina, 1990, Germany, 94, Brazil, 98, France, Fra France, but even even then you had, you had a Brazil side that was better than France. It's just that they had yeah. this huge uh, crisis with Ronaldo right before the final, where he swallowed his tongue or something. Two thousand two, Brazil. After that, the last two thousand six, uh, you still had a very beautiful Argentina side. But Brazil, was, um, that was the worst Brazil side ever. I think in two thousand six. I think. But the, the players were still very good right. in 2006. It's just that um, they they were overconfident and they did not prepare well. So it, it, it's not like where all of a sudden now you see the, the collections of players are just not that good anymore uh, as, as previously. You know, so when, when you see, a, when you see a, a final where Argentina, frankly, their defenders keep giving the ball away in their own half because they don't know how to how to pass the ball and Brazil keeps taking the ball in the opponent's half, but are too poor to actually create a scoring opportunity or, or even get a, get a decent half look at goal. That, that's just embarrassing. So as epic as, as the win was at, and as happy as I am 
for for Messi. I'm also kind of worried about where where this is going and why you know these uh, these amazing football countries are not really going anywhere with their football. Whereas in Europe, even like France, Switzerland, you see phases of the game where France is not poor, but Switzerland plays so well together that they impress Austria against Italy, where Italy is not poor, but Austria still impresses. And then, of course, you have matches like Spain, Italy, or even the final where, that we just watched, where, where the football is so much better from what we see in the Copa America. And for me, it makes me a little bit sad because I love South American football. Well, I think national teams are judged by two different metrics, and I think we can pick between the two depending on whether we want to be positive or negative about a certain national side at any time. So I think every national side is made up. Obviously, they can be judged on, and this is from the American view, that you know I've been waiting my entire life to see players playing for the U.S. men's national team from Chelsea and Borussia Dortmund and all the uh, Bar- FC Barcelona, <laughs> for, God, for God's sake. So... I've been waiting my whole life to see these individual players being able to play for the men's national team to say that there's a status that comes with that. And then you look <laughs> at even Belgium with their golden generations of Lukaku and De Bruyne. And then, and then obviously for Denmark, they had 1992. But then they had this one where you try to pick the best player there. And I mean, it was Damsgaard, who is a player for Sampdoria that nobody had heard of before that other than like real nerds like me who are on transfer market at two in the morning. Like we're the only ones right. who really <laughs> knew who Mikel Damsgaard was going into that tournament. And now he's this household name after a penalty kick. Uh, I mean, after a free kick against against uh, England. And so you can look at it through the the scope of the individual players because you're correct on the likes of whether it's Peru. Peru's probably the big one I think of. Where I mean, they don't have anybody really playing at any bit of a high level on any major team uh, at any time. And then you even think of Venezuela with uh, with 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 uh, Valencia for so long for Manchester United, right? That he was almost the bailout. For, He's uh, from Ecuador. Or Ecuador. I'm so, so sorry. Yeah, yeah. There we go. So <laughs> Valencia, playing for Ecuador. And I'm not thinking of Ener Valencia, aren't I? No, no, even he. No, I'm thinking of Joseph Martinez, who plays... Anyway, okay, here we are. So there. I I, I, I taught uh, English to Joseph Martinez. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. I'll oh, see. See, these, these are stories for not the podcast. These are stories for us, uh, <laughs> for potential bonus content someday. <laughs> but anyway, the, but the point is that Peru winds up being a sum of its parts at times. And then when they have a bunch of players in... In, in, in Europe, where they have had, I believe, what was it, in the middle of the 2000s, when they had a few players at least who were playing in Serie A or in the Premier League, then it was this collection of talent then. So I, I think there's a difference between individual players creating this mythos around a team that feels like they should have that proper collection of talent. And then you have those teams like even Hungary, who without their best player, because he was injured out for the tournament from RB Leipzig, and Hungary has had now for the second straight tournament, their best run of form since the 1950s. So Hungary, you can barely find a top quality player because again, their best player wasn't even there. And the next best player plays for Bologna in Serie A, something like that, right? And their collection of that talent. So when Hungary does well, in the same way that Denmark did well after Ericsson went down, you say, oh, that's a collection of talent and a credit to the project of that national team. But then when the South American teams who don't really succeed in that Peru and even Chile at the moment, I was at the end of their golden generation, Chile is about to get into a dip. And if they're not the sum of their parts because they don't have the talent anymore, then we're going to be critical of them. So I think it depends on how you want to look at it, because even Argentina, 
I mean, this Argentina squad, Angel Di Maria scores the goal. He missed 2014 final and the 2015-16 finals all due to injury. Rodrigo DePaul is now looking like a genius move by Atletico Madrid for 35 million euros. Emiliano Martinez was an afterthought from Arsenal, and then he winds up being the starting goalkeeper of Austin Villa. But obviously that penalty kick in the semifinal against Colombia is going to be his career highlight forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, no matter what he does in the Premier League. Uh, and then Nicolas Otamendi, he was a Manchester City player for a long time. And this was his best international performance, this tournament, I mean. And now he's 33 years old. He's washed up playing for Benfica. And yet he finally is the best version of himself he's ever been an international player. Right. And even Christian and, Romero. This- and who are the fullbacks? Well, yeah. So on one no. side, it's Taglifico and Acuna. Acuna plays for Sevilla. And the way that Guido Rodriguez plays for Real Betis, they're good La Liga players playing for bigger La Liga sides, but they're not superstars by any means. The one, the one exception is Gonzalo Montiel, who plays for River Plate, 24 years old. He looked like he was out of his depth, but yet in that final, he comes off, not even comes off, but he plays the game muddy and bloodied, and he looks like he played South American football proper the way you're supposed to. And he was really the only name that, in theory, is out of his depth at that level uh, in the Copa Final for Argentina. But all that said, their individual players are pretty talented on their own. And you could argue that this is maybe the most individually talented Argentina side that we've seen. But when it comes to cup finals, not to contradict everything I've just said, but when it comes to cup finals, it's about showing up and taking care of business. And that's what Argentina did. That's all you have to do in a final is you just have to get it over the line and win that trophy. And Messi carried them with four goals, five assists in the tournament. Messi carried Argentina to the final and they had enough talent to just get over the line. And that's all you need to do to get that trophy. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough, and as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. 
Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. I, I just had the feeling that they were trying to, especially in the first half, uh, but then at, like some, at some point in, in the second half, Brazil stopped believing, I think. But in, in the first half, it's almost as if the defenders were trying to lose the game. And I, I really looked at the game and I said, well, if, if, if I'm Tite, what I will do is if I have the ball, I'm just going to give it to Argentina. And, and, <laughs> and they, will, they will shoot themselves in the foot, giving the ball like 30 meters from, from their goal again and again and again and again, because Argentina is actually going to create better scoring opportunities for myself. Then I can then my team can create for itself. Uh, that was the feeling I had. What I do think is interesting is that Messi carried them to the final, uh, which he always does. Then in the final, Messi is not at his best, which has usually happened for him for Argentina. You know, let's let's be honest. No, he was average. He was absolutely pedestrian, including the 88th minute when he dribbles right into <gasps> Ederson. Right? <laughs> yeah. Collective no, gasp. And- yeah. And, and, and also, I think it was maybe in the 70th minute when uh, he had the ball in the edge of the box. He had the Di Maria right open to his right, but he, he decides to dribble it and then ends up like uh, just dribbling himself in, into, in, into trouble instead of giving it to Di Maria, who had a clear path to goal. I also heard that he, well, I think their coach said that he played in, injured with mm-hmm. hamstring issues. So that, that explains it. I just think it's uh, it's very nice and it's very heartwarming that even though I don't think they played well, they fought so hard. Yeah, they really gave it their all. They they left their souls out on, on that pitch, uh, and in that in that sense, it was a very epic victory. And and also to to see the whole team running to Messi when they won. I mean. Like, like I told you, I'm I'm not I'm not a fan of players, but I just get emotional when I when I think about it because it was such such a strong moment, such a beautiful moment. Yeah, and, and in, in context yeah. Of, of what it means for Messi's career, he's been in our lives for 16, 17 years, and that's a long time for players to be on our radar and in our lives in this way. And uh, you know, I, it's this weird cathartic experience to vicariously live through a player because obviously, I mean. Man, if I could make what Messi makes in an hour in my entire lifetime, my whole life would change, right? If, if I could have the sense of purpose and the sense of victory, the sense of accomplishment that Messi has in you know, the month of September every year, in the month of October, that not only for me, but for, for other professional footballers. There are, how many times in his career has he scored a goal that I say, you know, that's going to be forgotten by next week when he has a brace against somebody else. But that's the greatest goal that most 
players that he plays with will ever score in their lives. And he does that week by week by week. I wish there was one thing in my life that I was as good at as he is at football. But the culmination of all the failures is what makes it, I mean, it's the same thing about love, that, that love loss is better to have had love than to than to completely destroy a cliche quote like I just did, you know? <laughs> so, right? And so immediately, it's interesting because Twitter, you and I are both there and in social media, it's such a destructive place, but the collective euphoria from everyone to enjoy that victory, that celebration together was it, it sounds so cliche and stupid, but it's not that it's important to recognize our humanity. I mean, time is limited and not even our lives. I'm not even talking about life and death, but I actually mean Messi's footballing life that an athlete dies twice. Like I, I have, I have enough cliches to really fill up this whole pod, but you know, an athlete, dies, an athlete <laughs> dies twice. And so uh, Messi, yes, at the end of his life, it's when he's looking back on all his playing accomplishments. Sure. But when his playing career is over, it's right. over. And so we, we're seeing him in the twilight already. Even if he goes to 2022 World Cup in Qatar, th- this is the twilight we're already seeing. He's 34 years old, for goodness sake. And so there's not much time left. So taking in his life and celebrating him as he's here in front of us, and then obviously celebrating him for the rest of his, <laughs> his actual life and actual days. Now, I want to take it in the worst direction possible here before we talk England-Italy. The Ballon d'Or debate, I, I don't know. You and I are probably on different parts of Twitter. I don't think anyone is who's not a troll is egregiously ignorant enough to possibly throw out another name from this past year. I mean, Lewandowski, Kylian Mbappe, De Bruyne, N'Golo Kante, Harry Kane. I, I don't have any other names, right? I mean, there might be other names, but once once someone said Jorginho was a, was a candidate, it's over. Messi wins the Ballon d'Or, right? <laughs> the minute someone <laughs> threw that into the universe, you have to give him his seventh Ballon d'Or. Yeah, I, th- I think the problem with the Ballon d'Or, first of all, is going to be recency bias. So sure. what is going to happen between now and the vote? When is the vote? December, January? Uh, I may, they may actually vote in November. October. I think they vote in October and announce in December or something. To that, okay. that, the, the, the other thing, the, the Ballon d'Or is so ridiculous that they vote on a calendar year where you should just vote for a season. Yeah, of course. Like, what 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 other MVP award crosses two seasons right it should be it should be the like second week of august like the minute the world cup or whatever it is ends absolutely exactly yeah so i mean uh if you look at this season basically if you look at every year since messi has played the only season he would not get the ballon d'or is the 2013-14 season Mm -hmm. when he was getting a bit chubby and a bit slow and he was not entirely motivated. Well, he had that hamstring tear that it's, kept him out yeah, for like the, four months. Oh, yeah, and the hamstring tear, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to go with that. And then he ate a little bit while he was uh, bedridden. Yeah. So, um, and, it, and it's normal because you cannot like, it's incredible how long this guy has been motivated yeah. to be the best that he could be. It's, that is the biggest accomplishment. Well, apart from being the best in the world. But, you know, apart from the 2013-14 season, he should have gotten every Ballon d'Or because he is easily the best footballer in the world. And if you say the Ballon d'Or should, be, should go to the best footballer, then you give it to Messi, except for 2013-14. Now, if you say, okay, it has to go to a winning team, yeah, there are no clear candidates this, this year because there's no winning team where that really have a player who has stood out on that team. Well, for so, club and country, you have to do both now. In like in these big calendar years where you have international tournaments, you have to do club and country. Oh. Not necessarily, because in 2010, Messi got it, even though Argentina was a bit of a wreck in the 2010 World Cup. But it was still so early in his career that people were like, oh my God. 
True. This player is just so much better than anyone we have ever seen. So there were there was no way around it. There wasn't yet the messy fatigue where you get used to it. And, well, is that, um, then that the point that Ballon d'Or is decided by two factors. It's either stats, which is always going to be messy as long as he plays, or it's narrative. And so you could argue <laughs> that obviously Messi was better than Luka Modric, but Luka Modric went to the World Cup final with Croatia and Real Madrid were on their, their string of winning uh, right. Champions Leagues at time after time after time, even though Luka Modric was, I mean, no better than even Rakitic in the Liga. That, I mean, Rakitic, I mean, yes, okay, all right, all right. That was, that was a, bit, a bit much. But in, ter- but in terms of their importance to their sides, remember that, uh, that Barcelona were winning La Liga, and yet you had to argue for the Croatian midfielder, even though he was more important to his team than Rakitic obviously was for Barcelona. That, I mean, I don't know. This is this was 2018. A large segment of Barcelona fans already wanted to shoot Rakitic <laughs> off to the moon in a, in a rocket. Yeah, you know. So. I know. <laughs> I know. But he did but, play. He, but he played 54 games, and he was a Croatian midfielder whose side won the Liga. That's my argument, narrative wise. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. That he was the right. Croatian midfielder who won the Liga, and Modric, his side didn't win the Liga. They just won the Champions League. And mm-hmm. just like Rakitic, who was so good for Croatia in the World Cup. Modric was, was better. He was the best team on that side that made the World Cup final. And right. that's why narrative. And that's the difference. It's stats or narrative. And this year, Messi is both going to win stats and narrative. So there's, there's no shot for anyone else. Mm-hmm. I'll well, give you the final point on this, and we'll do England and Italy. I think the other thing with Messi um, is what is a lot of fun is all of a sudden he went from uh, a person who uh, never managed to win a trophy for Argentina to a footballer who took Argentina to four or five finals mm-hmm. and won them the Copa America and won man of the um, MVP of the tournament in so many of those tournaments. And I think he's already broken the goal scoring record for Argentina. Oh yeah. Would that be so? He's, he's already surpassed uh, Batistuta, right? Right. Cause he's about to pass Pele for the most South American gold ever. See. So, <laughs> so yeah. All, all of a sudden, just this final victory for him, uh, just, turns him into more of a legend than than he already was and that's pretty cool yeah i think it helps not even helps i I, his legacy was complete but it adds that wrinkle where for anyone who might have felt incomplete about it i think even the world cup it doesn't not that it doesn't matter now because people are going to start the same stupid narrative but i don't think people who were really actually worried about his legacy or cared about his legacy are going to care much because he won Copa america and he did the thing he had to do and that was win the international trophy yes world cup is world cup is great but I mean, this is no disservice to the legends of the past, but when you go back, even when I was studying for the Euro stuff, there was only four teams in 1960 in the first Euro, the Soviet Union won. There's less teams, and there was less facilities, less money, less, uh, I mean, there were, again, less infrastructure for the game to grow throughout the world. There's just so many more talented players who have access to the proper channels they need to be professional footballers than they did 60, 70 years ago. So no disrespect to those then, but... I do my best to compare eras and be respectful to those of the past, but in comparison of what he's doing compared to the sheer number of professional footballers there are today, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's bananas. <laughs> and so, you know, if I, if I had played for my high school soccer team, as I did, if I had played for that team in the 1950s, I would have been in the top 3% of all soccer players <laughs> in America at that time, just because I was from right on the New Jersey border. And that put me in a position to be in certain spots. And yet, you know, looking now, it's, I mean, my, my, my team was barely, we weren't even allowed to play on a field because there were just so, there's so many players here, even in America. And we're what the, 
in the 20s or that, you know, we're between the 15th and the 30th best international side in the world. And there's millions and millions of players even here. Yeah. So speaking of millions and millions of players, England seems that everybody plays football there. Same thing with Italy, that every schoolboy plays football in those countries. I don't have much to say here about England, Italy. From a Barcelona perspective, even, it was one that I was able to watch completely as a neutral, which I don't do very often. So I didn't really have much of an English uh, rooting interest. The English, obviously, there were people like, I, th- I was thinking of the Total Soccer Show host that passed away, that uh, Daryl Grove, that's been so important of, uh, of why I, I do this show. So I was thinking of Daryl Grove, he was an Englishman who came to America. And I was thinking of Gary Lineker. And I was thinking of people, I was trying to find English people that I even that I know personally that I would have been happy for them to have got there but gosh the the it's coming home for a trophy that's never been won by by England was tough and I also know a lot a lot a lot of Italian Americans so um, I I I fireworks for actually here in the neighborhood so I mean it wasn't sad to see Italy win but I just my heart hurt for Rashford and Sancho and and uh, at the end I I know a lot of English people. I also know a lot of Italian people. Funnily enough, it has taken an extremely long time for me to to meet an Italian person that I did not like. Mm -hmm. Because at least the Italians that I meet in Europe are all extremely nice people. Italian-Americans are more American to me than than Italian, uh, obviously. And I've also met plenty. I also tend to like English people. I, For the life of me, I don't understand why people are bothered when uh, when they say we're gonna bring it home, like really? Does that bother you? Why does that bother you then? Well, what do you care that they say that? You know, as an American, I think it bothers me the same way that certain Americans feel like it's our right, and I think there there comes with that a sense of superiority that I think is just. I mean, yeah, you could say it, it's banter, but there's, to me, it's not just that statement. There's so much more behind that. And I think America has the same problem that I, I was telling my wife that if, um, if the U.S. ever wins the World Cup, there are so many people that in my life that are going to act like it was our manifest destiny to win the World Cup. And America has conquered soccer in the way that we always were meant to. And that's what's going to come. And I think, you know, maybe it's the kid in me that wasn't picked for dodgeball high enough. So I'm, I'm angry at the, at the popular kids who are always boasting about the thing that they did or didn't do. And so that's, that's kind of the air I get of it. And, so, mm-hmm. and I think for all of that, for Eng- uh, England and Italy, somebody has to wind up being the bad guy. That's, again, the narrative watching these finals where if for neutrals to find so, – like who's the team that, that the kind of the world was like, okay, this, they wind up being the villains or they wind up being the heroes in this way. And so for me, again, with England, I, I think Saka and, and, and Rashford, those guys – are heroes to me. And it's not even the players. I think this was a really fun group of players. And I wouldn't have in any way been sad about if England had won. I mean, I'm 25% English. So I wouldn't have been very sad if England wound up winning. But 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 all that said, there is something just to be said about myopically presenting a match through the lens of the English media. And that being an English speaker, that's kind of how it was. That if Italy mm-hmm. won that, it, Italy was winning on their terms over there. And it's not. it has nothing to do with our narrative. It's because you're an English speaker, right. so you're confronted with, with the sure. English media. Because the Brazilian media, you think that they're not talking about bringing it home, that winning the World Cup? You think that in Brazil, they don't think that winning the World Cup is no, their birthright? Course. Yeah. <laughs> Argentina, like, you know, anywhere in South America, you, you ask about Argent- Argentines, the first thing that they will talk about is how amazing of an opinion they have about themselves. And I'm not saying that that is true, because I've met a lot of Argentines and they're they're awesome people, like most people are. But their reputation in South America, or at least in sp- the Spanish-speaking parts of South America, uh, is that they're very arrogant and they think that they're better than everybody else. Italy, 
Uh, you know, oh, there's yeah. there's some arrogance there. Of course, they also think that you know, and especially in football, they feel that they are they are the best. Germany, not too humble either. Holland, we've never won the World Cup, but you know, I'm sure that if we win it, which will probably never happen, uh, a lot of my countrymen will say, you know, this is meant to be. We are supposed to win the World Cup. We deserve it. Um, we always play the best football in the world, even when we don't win it. So now we finally get it. Yeah, you know, so 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 so. The, that, that's how I see the bring it home part. And the only reason that people got, are bothered by it is because they don't, because we all communicate in English. Right. So you're confronted by uh, English media. Whereas if you spoke Italian or Spanish or Portuguese, you figure out, hey, you know what? Everybody, everybody's like this. All of the pundits for every, if you put on the t- TV in Portugal, you think the Portuguese pundits are going to root against their team. No, it's all about how great Portugal is, and how uh, the other the other team dives and got a penalty that it did not deserve. This is this is normal. Having said that, I also root against England, and I'm very happy that they lost. <laughs> great, <laughs> that's a perfect, perfect, perfect end of that segment. So let's do Antoine Griezmann and Saul. This swap has been rumored. I don't know. I, we were we, you and I were going back and forth a little bit about this this idea. And this is usually something that I would throw out with the bathwater. And I would say, there's nothing to this rumor. It's not even worth bringing up on the show, but due to the dire straits that Barca's in, Saul has long been for long time listening to the show. He's long been one of my favorite non-Barca players. And this is probably the best time to get him as well, because even though Atleti won the Liga, he has not been great for two years, but he's still just 26. So it's, it, this is the time when you're going to get him at his lowest market value, that being Saul. Right. Apparently, for Atleti, he wanted more money, and so he was linked for Liverpool for a while, but a ton of players are linked to Liverpool, so I wasn't really sure how much credence to put in that. But And if Kuman actually needs that other midfielder that was supposed to be one of them, if he does truly need one, then that also brings a little bit of merit to these kind of rumors. And so it would be a, a great pick. I mean, again, he's on my short list of maybe five midfielders in the world that I would say, hey, so it would fit perfectly because he's not better than De Jong, he's not better than Pedri, and he's not better than Busquets. So you're going to need that basically that fourth rotation player or somebody who's going to start long-term if one of them gets injured. I mean, to me, so it was basically an upgrade to Sergio Roberto as Simeone hasn't been shy to play him out wide either, whether it was left back at times, and I think he even filled in for right back as a sub once or twice. So so it was a player that can kind of play in a lot of different spots and plug in, and again, he would be one of the best 12th men or 13th men, if you will, uh, in the world. And Anquan of Griezmann, last year when Barca were at their best, remember that he was on the bench for that big match against Sevilla in the when they overturned in the Copa del Rey. That To have Antoine Griezmann, to have somebody that expensive on your bench... That's kind of the problem. So if <laughs> when Memphis Dubai comes in, if Dubai, I mean, if Memphis winds up taking over the starting spot, well, along with Ansu Fati and Messi, as I said, if that's your front three, you can't have Antoine Griezmann sitting on the bench. He's just too expensive. He's just too valuable of a player to have sitting in that position where Saul would be would make much more sense in that role for a lot, right. a lot, a lot less money when you have wage I mean, bill issues. So to me, that all makes sense for those reasons. You can spell Saul's name backwards and chop off both of his feet and he'll be an upgrade over Sergio Roberto. Uh, having said that, yeah, I, I do feel that his career stagnated a little bit. I see the sense in adding him to our midfield. It can work out. Uh, it can also not work out. I think Griezmann is very um, underrated. And what he gives Barcelona uh, has been very uh, undervalued as well and under underappreciated. Mostly because if people did not like that we signed Griezmann, they will not like anything that he did for us either. Right. I did not like that we signed him, 
but I do appreciate that, you know, um, first of all, I already appreciated his first season where it was very difficult for him to fit in. But his second season, he played better than his first season with us. Uh, his role was very positive. He connected people both emotionally and, and on the pitch. Uh, he's very versatile. Over the last two years, he has scored amazing goals for us. If you see the highlights of all of his goals, because people criticize him that he doesn't score enough, but you watch a highlight of all his goals, it's like, God, amazing goals, and often important ones too. I still think that this is a trade that would make sense for everybody. Um, I think Atletico just signed Rodrigo de Paul. Yep. So, you know, that means that if already Saul's role was not very clear last season, it's going to be even less so this season. And for them to get Griezmann back, I mean, Griezmann is just such a quality player. He might be the best player on that, on that squad again. Now, the only but that I would see is that Griezmann plays uh, best off a striker. This has also been the case at uh, Atletico Madrid. His worst season there was when Simeone asked him to actually be the focal point in the attack and play in that nine role. Uh, and... You know, they actually spent that 125 million that Barcelona so generously gave them on this little Portuguese guy who also likes to play off a striker. So that would be the only the only doubt that uh, that I would have for Griezmann. But then you can you could kind of play Joe Felix on the left, Griezmann on the right in certain matches as well. So I, I think Simeone could make that work, and Saul's career at Barcelona could could also work. So it's kind of like a wait and see. Like it might work out, it might not work out. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't work out, then I hope his wage will be such that we can still move him on. I also think that maybe we can do one of those deals where, you know, um, they pay us 75 million, we pay them 69 million. All of the amortization on both sides are covered. Mm -hmm. Like kind of like what we did with Juventus. Yep. But this would actually make a bit more sense <laughs> yeah. than giving Pjanic a huge pay raise. Yeah, Pjanic never at Juventus was never the 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 movement he has. It's just too redundant in comparison when we speak about Busquets and even when De Jong is at his best and picking the ball up, slowly analyzing, then dribbling into spaces. It just doesn't work with Pjanic, and it was never going to work with Pjanic in a way. Again, that Seoul is much more. Not even mobile. It's not like he's this industrial, whatever kind of midfielder, but he is able to play and do every little thing you need him to do at a high level. Again, he's not, I can't name one feature he has that makes him a top 10 midfielder in the world in any way. But again, he does every little thing, and I don't think he truly has a weakness. That said, for Griezmann, I w it wasn't a knock on Griezmann's time at Barcelona or what he could mean or that he is expendable. It's that with Barcelona current wage bill issues and what their financial picture means, if you have to... I think that's my argument and why that yeah. swap to me makes sense because Antoine Griezmann is too expensive for FC Barcelona and in the current iteration they are. And that is just the business side of it. It's, it's sad that he has to be or would have to be the big sacrificial lamb at the end of this to be the player that has to be swapped out. But I think my point is that if you made a short list of players that I would be excited to come the other way... As I said, so Ulu is probably top 10 of that list of reasonable okay, well. players. Of reasonable players, yeah. Obviously, if Kevin De Bruyne knocked on the door at the Camp Nou and said, hey, I'd love to take a salary reduction and play for Barcelona, sure. There's a ton of those kind of players that are... We have no level. runners for De Bruyne. We have no runners for De Bruyne. 
Right. Well, I, 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 it'd be wasted. Sure, sure, sure. But I just meant that quality. That De Bruyne right. is not showing up at Barcelona tomorrow. And the same thing with you could say Holland is now in that category. That Erlen Holland, whether you think he fits at Barcelona or not, it doesn't matter. He's not going to knock on the door and be able to take on some deal at Barcelona. I'm saying players at FC Barcelona could potentially even bring in this summer. He's on a very, very short list of players I'd be excited to have. And again, if that solves the problem of the, if it solves, solves. <laughs> I said it with quotes because if you want to hear how it's an unsolvable problem. Emil and I last Wednesday went deep, deep, deep on that and all the financial issues. So even getting Griezmann off the books doesn't actually solve an issue. There is still more work to be done in terms yeah. of salary negotiations, all those different things. Again, we went over that all last week. But moving, but it helps. moving Griezmann wages is the biggest domino that they could push. He, that would yeah. be the biggest, the biggest button. So, yeah, I mean, there's that. And then let's end the show with the kind of the other side of this for players that are supposed to be affordable, but might, might not be. And we're talking about two teenagers and Iash Moriba and Alejandro Balde, who are not starting the preseason with the first team. Iash's agent is the German agency Rogan, and he's also been represented by his father. But it's the same song and dance again when he turns 16. And they're doing it the same again, where it's taking him a while to, to sign that renewal or try to negotiate that renewal. So when he did first sign that professional contract, I remember writing an article. So his birthday is January, middle of January. And it was the beginning of January. Like I remember the week of Christmas. I spent probably too much time during my uh, Christmas holiday thinking about whether or not ES Moriba was going to be leaving FC Barcelona. Because again, he was one of the biggest prospects that had been talked about for quite some time. And he'd, he'd shown flashes to be a world-class midfielder. But he could have left for Man City and was very close to leaving for Man City or Chelsea when he was 16. That said, Barcelona were able to have him sign along the dotted line that week when he turned 16. So, I mean, with him potentially leaving next summer for free, same thing for Alejandro Balde. They're up for renewals now, but if they don't sign and their contract expire and they leave for free, that's bad business by Barcelona, unfortunately. Because having guys that even though... Yes, Moriba has made less than 20 appearances for Barcelona, and Alejandro Baldi has yet to make a first-team debut. Those are some of the most highly rated teenagers in the world, and they are worth something in the way that Conrad de la Fuente could fetch Barcelona 10 million euros, and he only made one first-team appearance ever, yet he could fetch them, again, 10 million euros with add-ons and all that stuff. So with Baldi's agent being Jorge Mendez, I mean, that tells, that tells you the problem. Like, it's, it's not... I wish people could take the emotion out of it. I've been following and cared about Ish Moriba and Alejandro Bali since they were 15 years old. I mean, it's I have been covering and watching their games since they were in Juvenil Bay, Juvenil A, and I want to see them succeed at FC Barcelona. It'd be frustrating for me to spend all this time invested into these youngsters to never really see them even flourish in the first team. That said, it's a numbers game, and I have to completely understand the business side of it that if they're asking for too much money, Barcelona has got to have that hard line on young, on young talent, and they cannot be taken advantage of by Jorge Mendez and by Mini Marola and by other super agents that are just trying to get gigantic commission fees to get players who are really unproven over the line. Alejandro Balde is, is 17, going to be 18, but he did struggle a bit that last year with Barca B. So he's not... No. He, he, it's, they can always renegotiate next year. They can always renegotiate a renewal. You could always do that. It seems like... Every year, I mean, that's the thing with Busquets. Busquets has never actually signed a renewal when it was up or even when it was close to up. He's always signed his renewals based on performance. And yes, that did get us in part of the problem. Thank you, Rosal and Bartomeu. But also, that's what is possible for players that stand out at your club and are players that you want to keep around for 10 to 15 years. Alejandro Balde is crazy if he doesn't resign, if he doesn't renew. That, that would just be inexplicable because... Like the path is wide open. You no, know, Jordi Alba is going to be here for 
two more seasons. Yeah, two's two's fair. You know, and that that leaves a hole where if uh, if he is good as good as some people say he is, which I'm not sure of, to be honest, because I've only really paid attention to him this season, and I've not been uh, that impressed. He seems like the typical guy who is so athletically gifted that the rest of his development has suffered uh, because of it. Yeah, I mean, this uh, year this year he had the two injuries. So he had a muscle injury in the spring, and he had a dislocated shoulder to start the year, so he missed preseason even. That doesn't and, help. And Pimienta kept bringing up the fact that defensively, Pimienta said that he wasn't where he wanted him to be as well. Uh, he had mentioned, the player had mentioned, that just physically he wasn't... I know he is an athlete. We say he's an athlete. And offensively, he's just so fast and so important. His tactical skill is good. But yes, defensively, he's more than a year away from the, fo- the first team because he really did miss one year, basically, of defensive development and again a reminder that if any player between 16 and 22 on Sufati if you miss a whole year and Fati's now missed two since he was 15 if you miss a whole year or two years of your development as a teenager it completely throws things off the rails so we hope that he can figure things out and it could it could is what I'm saying so Mm. he could figure it out and most likely he's the kind of talent that has the tools too but he certainly does need to make improvements he didn't make last year so um, I mean, I I would just stay stay where he is because he he is at a club and in a situation at a club, an elite club, that does not have that much money, not just this summer. We're not going to have that much money next summer either, to make huge exp- uh, investments across the board. Uh, so he is in a pretty good situation as far as becoming a squad member at an elite club, and the money will come. Uh, as for Elias Mariba, I mean, we have so many midfielders. Um, do I think he's talented? Yes. Uh, do I think he looks anything like, you know, he will mark the next decade? Honestly, I don't know. Not as much as some other midfielders that uh, that we already have. Would I like him to renew? Of course. Um, I think the big problem here is that we probably would not be able to sell him for as much as we need in order to really help us. Yeah. Yeah. If if we could sell him for 50 million, it would already hurt for us because we don't want to give him up for 50 million. Right. He is that kind of talent where we'd say, no, pay 80, 90, 100 million, and we don't even want to lose him for 100. But if we could sell him for 50 million, at least it could help the club. And it could help us with um, keeping Messi, but we're not going to get fifty million for he likes. No, you get you get, get fifteen or fi- twenty. I was about to say fifteen with add-ons of about ten is I think yeah. what the market would be for Elias. Yeah, you know, and, and and some other club, they're going to make out like thieves getting Elias for fifteen million. Yep, it's going to be a super deal. So, I I do agree completely that if these kids don't want to renew then you know they should not play in the first team why give him th- why give them that development if we can instead give those minutes to players who want to be here uh, nico gonzalez he could have signed a deal elsewhere yep man city wanted to... man city wanted him hard and yeah. so did juventus they pushed for him yeah. yeah yeah but he chose to stay you know he's from a football family even so they know the business he, he could have gone somewhere else collado he could have gone elsewhere he, he chose to say. So those are all local kids. Just actually, Alejandro and Elias are more local than, than Nico, because I think Nico is from Galicia. Yeah, he's from uh, Acuna. Yep. Yeah. 
and Alejandro in uh, and he likes they they grew up in Catalonia. the metropolitan area of, of Barcelona. Yeah, they based, they both oh. played for Espanyol in the past, and then they made the okay. jump to La Masia. Yep, but, but that was yeah. when they were 10, 11 years old. Yep. Yeah, like many. So yeah, if if they wanna if they wanna leave, it's it's sad, especially at a time when we really want those players to stay. But you're not gonna ask Messi to take a pay cut, Griezmann to take a pay cut, Dembélé to take a pay cut, Busquets to take a pay cut, Albert to take a pay cut. We're basically going to ask everybody to take a pay cut and then pay millions and millions and millions of euros to Elias Moriba. You know, he's probably asking for more money than Pedri. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the point you made that I agree with is the fact that the second they sign on the dotted line for those renewals, then they immediately start preseason training with the first team. But mm-hmm. the, the club, again, take the emotion out of it, that they're not going to leave Barcelona because they were left out of the preseason training. They were left out of preseason training because the very reasons you said that they do not, they're negotiating with the club for renewals that they may not sign. And so they cannot be guaranteed a spot in the first team if they're not going to be with the first team as teenagers past this season. So the club has very, in this instance, not having them in preseason training is one of the very few pieces of leverage that the club does have. Right. And, it, and that's the point that the club clearly wants them to stay. And by and large, again, you have to take the emotion out of it that when this is being reported by Sport or Mother Deportivo, whoever does report it, that they're basically they're personalizing it and they're making you think of what the player is feeling, what the player is thinking. No, no, this is the club and this is the agent. And those players are told what to do. They're told what's going to be happening to them with their future as that's negotiated. Right. It's not on Elash and Balde. Again, they would love to just become legends of the Camp No for as much money as they could possibly make. And that's what that's where they're that's where they're at. That's where they're thinking. Um and so just mm, take, take We don't we don't know that. I mean we don't we don't know. I mean, yeah, we're not doing that for certain, but I, I mean they, they they can tell their agent, I'm happy with less money if I play for Barcelona. But you also have to assume at that age, at that age, at seventeen it's 17, there has to be other people in the room with them, family or other people behind the scenes also influence decision-making. Like, I mean, if they were 25 sure. or 26, I would agree with you. But I mean, 17 is just like, I mean, I had no semblance of finances in any, in any zero, 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 zero of what my financial picture needed to be, how much money I need for generational wealth, how much money I need for buying a house or all these different things. I had no idea at 17. So mm-hmm. I, again, no, I, sure, that's true. yeah, I would give you an adult, but I think what Barca is doing well too, is that they can look right down that preseason bench if they wanted to. And I've heard rumors that Pablo Paez, better known as Gabi, he's apparently going to do part of the preseason with the first team and he's 16 for a few more weeks. So the club is I mean, I think there's a pivot. I'm not saying that Barcelona need to play 16, 18-year-olds. I'm not saying that at all. If there are talented players, Alex Callado had to wait till 22 to finally be in the first team picture. And if right. that's what players need to do, that's what they need to do. Because every player is different. And if Gabi is ready for the first team at 17 or 18, so be it. If Callado was ready at 22, so be it. And I don't think age in that instance truly matters. But they can see that being, well, yes, has already been the first team. But Balde can see, hey, I'm 17. That 16-year-old is already getting appearances or already getting to show his stuff for Kuman. So 17 isn't too old for me. I just need to prove my worth and get there. Mm-hmm. And that that turns that that hierarchy not even flips it on its head, but that says to other players that hey, this is still a pathway. We don't just have to be Sergio Roberto and Mark Bartra and wait for a decade to finally get there. Right. I'm still blown away by the idea that Elias might be asking for more than a couple of million. Hmm. I, I think a couple of million is already a lot. Do, do you think he likes Mariva? 
right now is a bigger talent than Alenia. Do I think Ines Mariva is a bigger talent than Alenia? Yes, I do. I do actually. Yeah. I think I think the technical ability is similar. I think their ability to dictate a game at the Barca B level was probably advantage Alenia, but a little bit. But all the intangible things, including winning 50-50 balls, that is something that you don't really teach. And he does that at such a high level already that if he continues to be a threat on set pieces, if he continues to evolve his game in that way, again, you just can't teach those things. And his ability to get from spot A to spot B, not only not only defensively, which is where you want him, sure, but offensively, I mean, the two goals he scored were goals that Alenia does not score because he got himself in that position just by making a direct run that Alenia doesn't seem to have that direction. Um, that I said... I, I only yeah. remember the one goal. He scored a second goal? Yeah, he had two screamers. Yeah, they were both pretty good. He had one in the Sinera kit, the red and the, 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 the yellow, and then he had another goal that maybe I'm making up. But anyway, so yes, the, the amount he makes is 500000 a year with a buyout clause of $100 million. So you were correct that that was the what it, the, the precedent was set. But yeah, and I, I do believe that there's a way for that to rise. So yeah, maybe you're right that it's just $2 million, $2.5 million, and that's the number we're talking about. But it, it's, it might still be more than the club is willing to give him. Yeah. Right now. Yeah. So the exciting part of that, silver lining to all that, is that by the time this is hitting your ears, they both might have signed the renewals. They both might already be in preseason training, along with all the other young players that are excited to watch because Messi now gets a well-earned rest, as does Emerson. Uh, there's still work to be done to get the wage bill proper so you know who actually is going to be in preseason, who's going to be leaving the club. Because again, if I'm Sam Umtiti, why would I even show up to preseason training uh, with what the club is trying to do to me? But hey, he'll, you'll see the preseason coming uh, pretty quickly while Kumuna get his first look. And we're excited to see all the youngsters who can try to do what Ansu Fadi did, what now two years ago or three years ago, and see what Pedri did last season. And what yep. youngster is going to be the one to break through. And I mean, that's the most exciting part for me, just the hope of who's going to help. It's not Messi, just going back to the beginning of the show. You, it's not one player to replace Messi. Barcelona are going to need 11 players at a very high level to replace the impact that he has on a field. And so if Barcelona can continue to kind of solve that, that puzzle of creating a team that is completely prepared for the, 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 the twilight of Messi that we, none of us want to see, then these are, these are the moments that I look for. Yeah, and no, it will be exciting to see all the kids. I hope Moriba will be here. I also hope that, uh, that Balde is going to renew. I also think M- Moriba, is, he would also be crazy to go somewhere else. Where, where is he going to have a coach that's going to play him as much as Kuma? You know, not at a big, not at another big club. Well, that's, that's it, right? Sure. That's it. Barcelona are in a very interesting spot here, where they're the biggest club in the world who have to do drastic things. Would you agree with that? That yeah. it's not crazy for Barcelona, FC Barcelona, for goodness sake, to be playing teenagers because that's the unfortunate position they're in. And him playing for Barcelona is the silver lining for him. You're absolutely right. He can't go anywhere else of this kind of quote-unquote big club and possibly play the amount he's playing. Yeah, you're yeah. right. Ma- not Ma- Ma- Madrid plays a couple of teenagers. Manchester United, they tend to uh, play some of their academy players. City plays Foden, and that's it. It's very difficult to break through in City, because for all of Pep Guardiola's uh, love of youth players, um, he just spends 200 million on fullbacks if he's not happy with the ones that he has. You know, um, Bayern, I don't see it. Juve, I don't really know if he's going to get the playing time that uh, that he wants in Italy. So 
Barcelona is the best place for him. Yep, I agree. I agree. Yeah, Barcelona is the best place for Ies Moriba and Alejandro Balde and Gabi. But yeah, there's there's too many cooks. You can have too many talented young players. You can't fit everybody. But as far as those three go, I think the timeline makes sense. So stick it out. And we hope to see them preseason soon. Uh, soon. And we'll be talking about preseason and all that more on next week's show. So uh, this, this show is coming out a bit early this week. I'm going to be on quote unquote vacation actually for about a whole week. I know. Everyone be proud of me. I finally did it. Actually, my wife booked it. But hey, we, we did it. So we, that being Levon and Emil and I, will talk to you the following week. So uh, we do want to thank you again for another edition of the show for supporting us and listening. We're on Twitter and Instagram. Of course, I, I don't tweet that much. So even when I'm on vacation, nobody knows. But Levon, he's on Twitter at Barcelev. He's the follow. He's the one to interact with on social media. So follow him on Twitter. We're also with our closed Facebook group, the Barcelona Podcast on Facebook. And then Patreon is how we keep making these shows and you can financially support the show there. And that's really appreciated as always. So we're also on YouTube. I finally have some specialty content coming out. Uh, I've been working on that prior to vacation. It'll come out uh, either during don't tell my wife or afterwards. So that's the Barcelona podcast on YouTube. But most importantly, thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Visca Barca.